even with that defense being great, at some point they're going to get in the shootout. He's a great coordinator, not a great head coach. I think there's one thing we're all saying for a fact. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Seifer. Also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram, that is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at No Huddle NFL with an underscore at the end. That is again at No Huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces, available on X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it. Now, this is the first episode in a while where I am by myself. I don't have a guest on in this one, and it's also being posted a little bit later than usual. Normally, I record these episodes on Wednesday and then post them Thursday, but this time I'm recording it Friday night because I've been extremely busy and I've been trying to find a guest for this episode, but because of my schedule lacking much flexibility this specific week and just overall me being busy it was very difficult and I decided better for me to get an episode out a little bit later than usual than never and one of the best things about me recording this on Friday as opposed to Wednesday is instead of predicting the Thursday night game I will just be analyzing it because it already happened and this week that Thursday night game was the Chicago Bears going against Washington in Washington. And Chicago didn't just win. They won convincingly. It was a very, very good performance by Justin Fields, who is someone that longtime fans of the show, even if you're a new fan, You probably know Justin Fields is definitely a player that I have my agenda against, and it's nothing against him as a person, but I was not high on him coming out of college. And I don't think he has done much to prove that he could be like a good pocket passer and be a true franchise quarterback. I think he's a very good runner, a very good runner, and his ability to run allows him to overshadow some of the major weaknesses of his game. But the fact is, if you're in a position where you need to rely on him on a down-by-down basis as a pocket passer, he is not going to get the job done. And maybe that's fine a lot of the time. But when you're down big and you need to put a two-minute drill together, it's not going to happen under Justin Fields. That's how I have always felt. That being said... In the past two weeks, the game against Denver and then the game this week, Justin Fields is really trying to prove me wrong with that argument. And it's making for some exciting football. I want to give a lot of credit to DJ Moore, who is a key reason that Justin Fields is able to look so much better as a passer this year. My problem with Fields has always been his mental ability. I think he throws a good football. He has a strong arm. It's just the inability to read the field, make the right reads, post and pre-snap but in this Washington game he was doing it he was doing a damn good job and he was getting the ball out there like he needed to again DJ Moore had an absolute master class I started him in two out of four of my fantasy leagues so I'm very very happy with the 49 points that he put up in PPR format I imagine anyone that started Justin Fields 
probably feels very happy with his performance still. And, of course, I'm going to give Chicago their credit on this one. You know, they could have been on a 15-game losing streak if they lost that game on Thursday night, but instead they went ahead and beat a team that, I'm not going to lie, I really expected to beat them. I really was willing to not necessarily lock it in, but I felt very comfortable saying that Washington was going to win that game, and they didn't. You know, Chicago has a banged-up secondary. They had a banged-up secondary in that game. However, Washington couldn't take advantage. They weren't putting their best targets out there a lot. Both Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin had below 85% of the team snaps. I have no idea why. Absolutely baffles me. Makes no sense for them to be rotating their receivers in and out as much as they do when they have such a great trio of McLaurin, Dotson, and Curtis Samuel. I really don't get why you're rotating your guys as much as they are. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing to be deep and, you know, try and put as many guys out there as possible, but you got a very clear top three guys. And listen, I like Jamison Crowder and what he might be able to do for you. I like Brown. I think that he can do some stuff as an offensive weapon. But you don't want to bench your real star players for those guys. Like, those are some nice guys to put in every now and then, but you want McLaurin taking above 95% of the team snaps. You want Jahan Dotson taking above 95% of the team snaps. There's no reason for Logan Thomas to be Howell's go-to guy. I I really do not get that decision by enemy And maybe it's partially on Howell, too. I don't get why Logan Thomas is getting the volume that he is in my mind. And I think Logan Thomas is good. He had some good plays in that game, but McLaurin should be the go-to guy in that offense. Jahan Dotson should be one of the go-to guys in that offense. Not Logan Thomas. Logan Thomas should be your third option. Maybe your second on some plays. And then Howell just holds the ball too long. So they weren't able to take advantage of Chicago's weak, banged-up secondary. And then defensively for Washington, their secondary is awful. Awful. They're, they aren't good. Okay, they have really, really done a bad job in both the Eagles game and in this game with pretty much just wide receiver ones. When they're against, like, a big-name wide receiver, they struggle. They struggle to guard that guy. And it showed, like I said, this week a lot and a lot against the Eagles last week. So hopefully Washington can pick it up, and hopefully Justin Fields continues to play the way that he is because it makes it for some fun football, and maybe we won't see Eberflus getting fired. Maybe we won't see Fields getting replaced. Maybe we see something actually starting to get built in Chicago. Now, I feel like that might be a little bit of an overreaction just because Chicago, like I said, hasn't won a game in a very, very, very long time. But, you know, let's say that they get a little bit hot from this point going forward. Maybe they can prove they have a little bit of structure at the moment. So, now I want to talk about predictions for the upcoming games. Jags at Buffalo. Or, Jags, not at Buffalo, but Buffalo is considered the home team. It's against the Bills in London. Which basically means the Jags are home. Now, this is the first time that the Jaguars have played back-to-back games in London, ever. 
And I heard some people argue that that might cause them to be, you know, a little bit off. But I also think that might be an advantage for them because they're comfortable with the entire, oh, going to London thing. They don't, they're not just arriving in London and then playing football. No, they already are in London. They've been practicing all week in London. This could be a double-edged sword. This could really hurt them or it could really benefit them. And it's really impossible to predict that. I like to hope that it will benefit them because in that case, this should be a damn good game. If this were just a neutral playing field, Buffalo wins 100 times out of 100. I'm sorry, Jacksonville hasn't lived up to their potential offensively and defensively. They just haven't been overly great. Buffalo is a different animal. However, Jacksonville doesn't necessarily have a home field advantage, but they have a advantage because the game is in London. Right, that's at least how I look at this. With that said, Buffalo is still a different animal. Jags still haven't impressed me offensively. Like they're fine. They're not the worst offensive unit of all time, but they're way too talented to be as mediocre as they are on the offensive side of the ball. And the defense just hasn't been anything too special. The Bills can kill teams. The Bills are really, really explosive, and that defense is spectacular. I'm taking Buffalo. It's as simple as that. They just outmatch them. The Jags haven't done anything special, once again. But the Bills are special on both sides of the ball. The Bills' defense will completely clamp up the Jags' weapon. And the offense should just, once again, go nuclear. Ravens at Steelers. Listen, I know the Steelers have been really dysfunctional, but you got to keep in mind... Mike Tomlin doesn't have losing seasons. And in order to not have a losing season, you got to win games. Games like this one. Games against teams that you just tend to have the number for. I know that this is a different offense than usual. But there's still a lot to be said about the fact that the Steelers have the Ravens number. Okay? They just simply do. In the last six Steelers-Ravens matchups, the Ravens average just 17.1 points per game. Again, I know it's a different offense, but now it's starting to kind of go back to the root of the Greg Roman thing. They're starting to run the ball more. They're no longer doing as much of this Todd Munkin spread offense as people thought they would be because it seems like they kind of gave up on that experiment. It wasn't working. Now they're going back to what they know works, back to the heavy personnel, back to the let's run the ball Let's get Lamar Jackson going on the ground. Pass, second, run first type of offense. And to me, that just seems to be their formula for success, except against the Steelers. The Steelers have done a very good job picking apart that exact Ravens offense. And like I said, the Steelers are not a great team. And that's why I really understand people taking the Ravens here. But it's in Pittsburgh. Okay, that's a big thing. The Steelers... I imagine see this game as a must-win game in order to go 500 or better. Like Mike Tomlin always strives to do, seemingly. Or at least as much of a must-win game as it can be, considering that's only Week 5. And while I don't like the Steelers' offense, I do think the defense should consistently put the offense in a great position to win this game. So I am taking Pittsburgh getting an upset 
in Pittsburgh. Now, Panthers at Lions. This one's a very simple one. Lions 99 times out of 100. The Panthers just simply haven't been good at any specific aspect of the game. They've been awful in too many aspects, but they don't do anything special. Okay, they don't. And a lot of things, they are far below average, right? The receiver cores, piss poor. The offensive line hasn't been overly good. Bryce Young hasn't done a great job. The defense is pretty damn mediocre. There's not much to love. The Panthers just lost some key players on the defense, and that's what's really hurting them defensively. The Lions can do damage. They're a team that's hot right now. I'm picking them here with a lot of confidence. Texans at Falcons. Listen, I I love the Falcons run game. I really do. But the Texans and their explosive passing attack can lead the offense to a stable, comfortable lead early. And that will force the Falcons to run, sorry, to pass the ball, give up on the run game. That is oh so successful. And that's kind of the thing. The Falcons, we saw it in that London game when they fall behind. Desmond Ritter just isn't a good enough quarterback to get them back into the game. He just isn't. And, you know, it's great that they have such a good rushing attack, but the O-line, while it's very good at run blocking, it isn't great at pass blocking. Desmond Ritter kind of sucks, let's be honest. And the passing game isn't designed extremely well. In my mind, like, I do think they should be utilizing Kyle Pitts in a completely different way. And that's not a hot take. It seems like everyone agrees on that. I'm just waiting for them to put Heineke in. Maybe that will change a lot for them. But at the moment, with Ritter in, I I just cannot see them coming back if the Texans get a stable lead early, which I expect them to. And that's because their passing attack is so damn good. CJ Stroud has done an amazing job, man. Amazing. And the receiver core, I know it's not star-studded, but it has got the job done. And even though the offensive line is banged up, it doesn't seem to really matter. Okay? They've still been able to do their jobs, the backups for the Texans' offensive line. And this Falcons' pass rush isn't anything to be overly concerned about. This is a Texans team that I expected to really run through the run game. And their O-line went down, so they decided to pass the ball more. And they found out CJ Stroud is much more comfortable being relied on to throw for 300 yards every game than I would have expected any rookie to have been. And listen, I was high on CJ Stroud, but I had not I did not expect the offense to rely on him this early and for them to be successful doing that. So that really pulverizes me. But you know, if it works, it works. Keep on doing it. And I think this is another game where they could continue to rely on their young quarterback. So I'm taking the Texans there with pretty, I'm pretty comfortable about that. The only way I could really see the Falcons winning it is if they get a stable lead. Well, they get a lead early and it ends up being kind of a shootout and the Falcons just run all over them. That, that's the only way. I just can't see Desmond Ritter doing damage with his arm. And I find it very difficult to believe that If you play this game ten times, nine times, this game ends up being 
one where Desmond Ritter has to make some big throws, and I don't think he'll be able to. Now, maybe we could play that other single game out of the 10 where the Falcons get a lead by running the ball and they just continue to run away with it. Sure. But I'm going to take the one that I'm more positive will happen. Bengals at Cardinals. The Bengals have been legitimately bad. That is no secret. Joe Burrow has no business being out there on a football field right now. He is too injured. He is too injured. And this is a guy who really succeeds because he's willing to stand in the pocket for the extra second. He's willing to just throw it until the exact second that he's unable to throw it. Okay? He's completely fine being relied on with all four defensive linemen coming right at him unblocked he is fine with that he will do some amazing stuff under pressure but that's only when he's fully healthy this is not fully healthy joe burrow this joe burrow that we're seeing on this football field for the cincinnati Bengals in 2023 isn't the same guy he sees one of the linemen didn't do a great job blocking their guy he has to get the ball out quick and he's not going to do a great job at it he really isn't joe burrow in the past is willing to move around the pocket a little bit more this Joe Burrow, we don't see that at all. He is a literal statue, and he's not willing to step up in the pocket. He's not willing to avoid pressure. The second he receives pressure, he has to get the ball out. He doesn't want to take another hit. He is not ready to be out there. He is not. And I know that the Bengals don't have a good backup quarterback. I know, but you could sign someone. They really shouldn't even bother to roster a second quarterback if you're not going to use him. This is a situation where you have to put your backup quarterback in the game. They should have done it a while ago. Do it before the bye week. Because I know they're praying that the they get to the bye week with a healthy Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow is just able to heal over that bye week. But that's not the case. The Bengals offense cannot function without elite quarterback play. It just simply can't. It can't do it. And that's why they're forcing Joe Burrow out there. Because Zach Taylor does not design a good enough offense to make up for lackluster quarterback play. So he's putting Joe Burrow out there, just praying to God that Joe Burrow will look like him for his former self. And it hasn't happened. It just hasn't happened. And if I were Zach Taylor, I would just stop. I would just stop. I would sign Carson Wentz and then just try and work with that until Joe Burrow is fully healthy. The defense is fine, but it can't carry them. They have good receivers, but it doesn't matter if the quarterback can't get them the ball. And, of course, the running game can't get going because they're facing heavy boxes because Joe Burrow can't get the job done. And then the offensive line is just awful, too. So it's been horrible for the Bengals, really. They have been a bad football team. Meanwhile, the Cardinals, these are two teams that are just on the opposite end of the coin. The Cardinals were a team that everyone and their mother expected to be, if not the worst, one of the worst teams in the NFL. But boy, were all of us wrong. Boy. Joshua Dobbs looks really damn good, man. He looks really good. The defense, despite not having much talent, they've been able to get their job done. 
And I know this sounds crazy, but we got to give Jonathan Gannon his credit. I know that people laugh because his clips are cringy. He seems like a cringy guy. But then you watch him. And, or you watch this Cardinals team more specifically. And you see a team that looks motivated. And this is a guy that wasn't brought in because he's some, like, big X's and O's guy. He was brought in because of what he does as a locker room presence. And it shows. Jonathan Gannon has done a great job motivating these guys. This is a team everyone thought was going to be in the Caleb Williams race. And listen, they, they might not be the best team in the NFL, but they're definitely a team that could beat anyone any given week, it feels like. They are the trap game team. They are much better than their talent may have you think. Josh Dobbs has been playing really good football, and he should be able to get at least a comfortable 24 points, even with that Bengals defense being decently threatening. And if they get 24 or more points, I don't think the Bengals can keep up. I really don't. The Bengals have not been good offensively, and I have no reason to believe that that's going to change. So I'm taking the Cardinals there, actually. So now Eagles at Rams. Aaron Donald is great, and having cutback can absolutely be huge for the Rams. But the Eagles will dominate on both the offensive and defensive line. I think this game could be close. I think Stafford might be able to, you know, make some plays and keep the Rams in the game. But I'm sorry, the game is won in the trenches, and I have no reason to believe other, other than Aaron Donald. And that's a big reason, but still. Other than Aaron Donald, I have no reason to believe that the Rams aren't going to be blown five yards off the line of scrimmage every play, on both offense and defense. Listen, they're, they're a team that has overperformed expectations, much like the Cardinals. But if the Eagles come into this game with the game plan of just running the ball, and just dominating the line of scrimmage and relying on that, they'll be just fine. They will be just fine. Stafford is playing through injury. This Eagles defensive line will pick that offensive line apart, and Stafford will not feel very comfortable hanging in there because of, like I said, dealing with injury. Cooper Cup is going to make plays, and that's why I expect this game to be decently close. Aaron Donald will hold his own a lot of the time. But the team that dominates the line of scrimmage is going to be the team that wins the game. And that's why I have the Eagles here. Chiefs at Vikings. This is easily a Chiefs win. The Vikings also might be able to keep it decently close. But they really haven't proved much. And their soft coverages have been abused all year. Kelsey will be another old White guy, much like Adam Thielen, to just abuse these soft coverages that you're always seeing. But instead of it being a washed-up Adam Thielen, it's going to be a veteran Travis Kelsey, who is still really, really damn good and the best player in this position. I really don't know what to tell you. The Vikings defense is not going to be able to stop that Chiefs offense. And they're coming off a kind of bad week last week which means they're going to come into this with a chip in their shoulder. 
don't be surprised if the Chiefs are just slinging, okay? If the Chiefs are just absolutely slinging. And while Justin Jefferson's good, Trent McDuffie is also really good. Now, I'm not saying Trent McDuffie is going to lock him up, but Jefferson can't completely carry the team here. And when they can't rely on Jefferson every single play, I really don't know what to think of this Vikings team. I think this game might be a little bit close, but I want to lean more towards it being a blowout in the Chiefs' favor. Jets at Broncos. The Broncos have legitimately looked like the worst team in football, and a big reason why is because their defense is awful. Awful. And while the Jets' offense isn't overly good, well, Zach Wilson showed a flash last week, the same way Justin Fields did, and then Justin Fields followed that up with a really good performance. Maybe we'll see Zach Wilson do the same thing against a defense that Justin Fields played against and had a lot of success. Zach Wilson has the arm. He has the physical ability. Now, can he operate mentally like an NFL pocket passer? That's what we need to see. This is going to be a great opportunity for him to show off that ability against a weak NFL defense. And because that Broncos defense is so weak, the Jets' overwhelming weakness on offense won't really matter too much. Because it's about even of a platting of a platform. And also, Brees Hall is supposed to get more carries this week. So if the Jets do get a lead, maybe they'll actually be able to run the ball instead of using the corpse of Dalvin Cook. Maybe. So, Jets here. Cowboys at 49ers. The 49ers just look unstoppable. So I'm not going to expect them to lose until I see a weakness to be exploited. The Cowboys are still without Trevon Diggs, meaning that they might not be able to stack the box as much, and this Cowboys team is a lighter defense up front. The 49ers will abuse that. They will take advantage. Christian McCaffrey is a different animal, and he will continue to be a different animal until you are able to scheme purely for him. And the Cowboys don't have the talent on defense to be able to do that. And it takes a lot of talent to be able to do that because in order to properly scheme for Christian McCaffrey, you have to, have to, have to be able to trust your cornerbacks one-on-one with both Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. The current Cowboys cornerbacks cannot do that. Part of the reason why is Trayvon Diggs getting hurt. Purdy is... A good quarterback. He's going to make throws under pressure. So yeah, Micah Parsons might get free a couple of times. Okay. Purdy is cool as a cucumber in the pocket. He's going to dish the throw to George Kittle, Debo Samuel, whoever he needs to get the ball to. Purdy is still undefeated in games that he has both started and finished. So I just have a lot of trouble betting against them. I know this game should be close. Probably will, but I'm picking the 49ers here. They're just the hottest team in football right now, and I'm not going to bet on the hottest team to football to lose. Uh, It just isn't going to happen. Now, am I saying that they're going to go undefeated? No. But week by week, I will probably predict them to win every game. You know, they're going to lose eventually, and eventually I'm going to be wrong, but 
seems like a safe bet to me. Especially a Cowboys team that hasn't been great at playing against other great teams. You know, they're good at picking on the scrubs. But when they're fighting someone their own size, how can they really do? And the 49ers are not just their own size. They're in a different level. They're the best team in football for a lot of reasons. And a big reason why is because there is no weakness to exploit. Okay? And because of that, it's hard to have a great matchup against the 49ers because in order to have a great matchup, there has to be a weakness that you're good at exposing. Like I said, the 49ers really don't have a weakness. Okay. Some people might say Purdy, but Purdy executes the offense and that's all they need him to do. Unless you find a team that can lock up Christian McCaffrey, lock up Debo Samuel, lock up Brandon Ayuk, and lock up George Kittle all at the same time, you're not going to find a team that could exploit Brock Purdy. In order to beat this team, you can't try and expose Brock Purdy. You can't game plan for Brock Purdy. You have to game plan for Brock Purdy's weapons. And there is no team that can do that. There's no team that has the talent to do that at the moment. So I'm picking the 49ers with a lot of comfort, honestly. So the last game, Monday Night Football, Raiders. At Packers, give me the Packers. That Raiders defense just sucks. Okay, it's awful. It is an awful, awful defense. And I know Jordan Love has been a little bit inconsistent. This is a good opportunity for him to bounce back and get the media talking him up again. Matt LaFleur does a really good job. And... Yeah, that Raiders offense can be a little bit threatening, but listen, that Packers defense definitely isn't a bad unit. I'm not going to say it's a great unit, but it's not a bad one. So I feel pretty comfortable with this one. Even if Aiden O'Connell, Jimmy Garoppolo, no matter who's playing, I feel comfortable about this one. Devontae Adams also might not be playing too, so that will really hurt the Raiders. I'm picking Green Bay with another one where I feel pretty damn comfortable about it. Okay. I know that this has been a shorter episode, but like I said, I've been really busy this week and I still am pretty damn busy. So thank you all for listening again. Sorry. It's a shorter episode. I'm hoping next week I can make it up to you guys, but I hope you enjoyed. If you want more of my content, check out at no huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces on TikTok or Instagram. That is at no huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces on TikTok or Instagram, also available on Twitter, at no huddle NFL, no capitals in the spaces yet again, with an underscore at the end. I'll see you all again next week. Thank you for listening.